in today's shear, the last shear of uh, this series, uh, I would like to tackle a topic that is perhaps a little lighter than our usual fear, uh, but perhaps much more practical, which is the theology of Shiduchim, of how marriages come to be. It is probably known to us that Chazal, in a number of places, tell us that a, ma- a match, a marriage is made in heaven. The Gemara says, for example, in Sota Daf Beda Aleph and Sanhedrin Daf Beda Aleph, that Amr of Yudam Arav, Arbarim Yom Kodim Yitzirat Havlad, Bat Kol Yotzeit Vomeret, Bat Ploni Leploni, etc. That 40 days before the fetus is even formed in utero, a heavenly voice already rings out and declares that the following boy will marry the following girl. The Gemara there, in those two sugyot, in the beginning of Masechet Zotah and in Sanhedrin Dafchaf Bet, actually asks, didn't Reish Lakish say that that Hashem arranges matches based on one's merit. A very righteous man will receive a very wonderful righteous wife and vice versa. And if it depends on one's merit, then it is obviously not set in stone. So the Gemara answers, no problem, that there are actually two different principles within Jewish theology about how matches are made in heaven. The first match, the first marriage, that is declared from on high before the, ba- the souls come down to this world and are born. And is not a function of scharva onish, is not a function of merit. It has nothing to do with anything anyone does in this world. It is merely fated to be so. The second marriage, on the other hand, uh, that is no longer uh, one soulmate which was declared in heaven uh, 40 days before one was formed in utero. The second marriage is something that. You know, if one comes to that situation, that God matches off based on one's deeds, much the same way that God runs the rest of the world through the principle of scharva onish of reward and punishment, and uh, recompenses people based on their deeds and their merits. This concept, the Shut uh, Tashbeitz, discusses in the very first chapter in Chilek Bet, in the second part of his work, and he tells us that one way to understand this concept, that there is a match made in heaven, that somehow it is declared before you're born who you will marry, says is based on the mystical tradition of Judaism. He tells us that the mystical tradition, right, there are two ways to interpret this philosophical concept. One based on the Kabbalistic mystical tradition, and one based on 
philosophical analysis. He explains that the mystical way of understanding is that souls were created on the first day of Bereshit. All souls were created when Hashem first created the world. The souls live up there in heaven somehow until they are ready to be born and come down to earth. If so, if all the souls already lived, perhaps for thousands of years before they were born, then it makes sense that up in heaven, even before the soul is born, it has a mate. It has a match. There are two souls that match, that mesh with one another up in heaven. And one is born male, one is born female. And that is who one is fated to marry. This explains mystically the concept of what uh, people call in Yiddish, Bashert, the concept that it is just fated that a certain person will marry a particular spouse. The mystical approach would tell us this is, of course, only true for Zagrishon. The first, uh, the first mate, the first mate is this mystical soulmate from heaven. The second mate, that's a different story that depends on reward and punishment and one gets what one deserves. Some of the more mystically minded uh, Mepharshim commentaries to the Gemara struggled with the question of are there exceptions then to this fate which tells us who one is going to marry? Because a third passage in the Gemara which discusses this concept seems to indicate that it is not quite so set in stone. The Gemara tells him, It is permitted to a betroth. Betrothing is something we don't really do as an independent uh, act nowadays. Betrothal means not exactly our engagement. It's what we call kiddushin. We do kiddushin at a chatuna, at the wedding. In those days, they used to first do kiddushin. The man would betroth the woman, which meant they were actually committed and married to each other in all, for all legal purposes. The prohibition of adultery was in full force. However, they didn't start living together until they actually made the wedding, did the nisuin, and then moved in and set up a household in partnership. But this kiddushin, this stage of betrothal, is permitted even on Cholomoed. Let's take the... Uh, many Mepharshim explain that we are dealing here with a written document of betrothal. It is normally prohibited to write on Cholomoed. However, it is permitted to write on Cholomoed to avoid Dover Ha'avid, to avoid potential loss. And Shmuel tells us in the Gemara Moed Kotendaf Yud Cherem Bet that it is permitted to write a betrothal document on Cholom because there's a potential loss. Shemi Kadmenu Achir. I can betroth a woman on Cholom because if I don't do it now, I might lose her. Someone else might come and steal her affections and marry her instead. The Gemara asked the obvious question. 
What do you mean it's a Dover Ha'avit? The Gemara asked, what do you mean there might be a loss? I might lose the girl if I don't marry her right now. Don't we know these things are declared in heaven? Don't we know that every day a heavenly voice rings out and tells us exactly who will marry whom? So, I do not have to worry that I could lose this favored potential marriage partner. After all, it's all decreed up in heaven. So the answer is, Perhaps someone else will come first and daven. That is the end of the halachic part of this particular sugya. The Gemara tells us that it is permitted to be trothed on Cholomoed because it is considered a Dabra Ha'aved. There is potential for loss. If I don't do it now, I might lose my chance because someone else might come and daven. What does this Gemara sound like? This Gemara sounds like, yes, my soulmate, my Basharit, the person I will marry, is decreed up in heaven. But if someone else comes along and davens, well, perhaps they can change that decree. So is this in fact true? If I have a mystical soulmate, if I'm fated to marry a certain woman up in heaven, some other guy can just come along and daven well and marry her instead? Is the mystical fate of Bashert, of my future spouse and soulmate, really so flimsy that a nice uh, davening can overrule it. So, regarding this, we have three opinions in Rashi and Tosafot, the primary Farshim, on this Gemara. Rashi tells us, look at the story that happens later on in this Gemara. Rava heard a certain fellow davening, saying, Hashem, I want to marry this girl. Rava told him, don't daven to marry this girl. If she's your soulmate, you'll marry her. And if not, then it will not turn out well. And in the end, Rava heard this fellow davening, Hashem, I can't stand this life anymore. Please kill me or kill the girl. Rashi, printed on the page in Moid Cotton, tells us that what happened in this story, the fellow Davin and Davin and Davin to change the decree of fate and was unsuccessful. You can't change fate. You can't change mystical fate. So what happened? The guy got so frustrated and so dejected and depressed that he Davin and Davin and Davin to marry this girl and he saw it wasn't going to work out. She was going to marry someone else that he became irrationally Davin Hashem, I know she's going to marry someone else, so kill me before I see her walk down the aisle with this other fellow, or kill her before she has a chance to do so. Rashi tells us that there is no possibility of changing the mystical fate of who someone will marry. That is not something which is flexible. It is not something which can be changed. Rather, why is it permitted to be trolled on Kolomoed? What the potential loss? What could happen if you delay? Rashi says, 
even if you delay, it's not going to change your fate. Everyone's still going to marry the same person. But if you delay, then God forbid, some other suitor could get his hopes up. And then later, when his hopes are dashed, might become as irrational as the fellow in the story quoted in the Gemara and start davening for people to die. And that would be a loss. It would be a loss for someone to reach such a state that they daven for people to die. And this is not our philosophical topic now, but sometimes such power prayers might even have some sort of power and could potentially be dangerous. So Rashi tells us, Rashi has the strongest formulation of the mystical fate of one's soulmate. Rashi tells us the spouse one is fated to marry never changes. Nothing can change it, not even davening. The only reason that one should hurry up and get married, even on Cholomoed, is not because your, your spouse might change. Not because fate can be changed. Mystical fate can never be changed. But because you don't want to create a situation where someone gets desperate and irrational and so depressed that they daven for Hashem to kill people. Tosafot, in his commentary on Sanhedrin Afchaf Beramad Aleph, as well as the version of Tosafot called Tosafot HaRush, Unmade Cotton, gives a different interpretation. Tosafot says that we learn from the story of the fellow who davened and davened and davened and was frustrated, that as a rule, even prayer, even davening, cannot overrule mystical fate. If, however, if nothing can overrule fate, then what's the rush to get married in Cholomoed? Tosfut says, Pa'amim et ratzon. Ba'atfilam Tosha said, usually, even prayer cannot override fate. Fate is fate. It's mystical. However, sometimes, you know, you never know the power of prayer, says Tosfot. Sometimes, on rare occasions, a prayer will be exact right prayer, davened by the exact right person at the exact right moment, and can even rewrite the ground rules of existence, of the universe, can even override fate. So Tosavo tells us that, yes, one's mystical fate is set in stone. The marriage will happen. Almost all the time, but there are rare exceptions. Generally, this mystical fate is so strong that even tefillah cannot change it. However, on rare occasions, there is some slight possibility of overruling and changing one's fate. It is for that reason that we can rush to get married, even on Cholomoed, because you don't want to take even the slightest chance that perhaps there's some small chance that fate can be changed by the mysterious power of tefillah when that tefillah is exactly the right tefillah in the right place at the right time. A third interpretation of this Gemara is given by Rashi, the manuscript version of Rashi, that has more recently been published on Moed Katan, a more accurate, original version of Rashi's commentary on Moed Katan, tells us in his first interpretation, 
that the story runs a little differently from how we understood. It is not that the fellow was frustrated because his prayers weren't answered. It's rather that you have to be careful what you pray for. According to the manuscript version of Rashi, a certain fellow prayed to marry a certain girl. Rabbi told him, don't pray to marry that girl. If she's your mystical soulmate, then you'll marry her, you don't need to pray. And if she's not your mystical soulmate, then you don't want to marry her, because it won't work out. According to the manuscript version of Rashi, it's actually quite difficult for a man and woman to get along. It is almost a miracle that two people, two separate people with different ways of looking at the world, with different desires, with different preferences, with different lifestyles, can get together and live as one couple. As a matter of fact, it is a miracle. The only reason it works is because it has so been decreed up in heaven. So says Rashi, As a matter of fact, tefillah, prayer, can change one's fate temporarily. If I really daven very, very, very hard that I want to marry, let's say, Rachel, when my soulmate is really Leah, then maybe God will let me marry Rachel. But it won't work, because she's not my soulmate. And temporarily, I may marry Rachel, but... I won't stay married. In the end, the marriage will fail because she is, in fact, not my soulmate. And that's what Rabbi told the fellow in the story. He said, don't daven to marry a specific girl. Trust in Hashem. You'll marry the right girl because if you ask to marry the wrong girl, God might answer your prayers and then you'll be in big trouble. As a matter of fact, the end of the story seems to be, according to this interpretation, that the fellow actually married the girl he asked for, who was not his soulmate. And then he davened to Hashem, Hashem, kill me or kill her, because I can't stand this marriage anymore, and I'd rather be dead than stay married to her. According to this third interpretation, then, one's mystical soulmate is some mystical fate from up on high and is set in stone in the long run. But in the short run, if one davens, Foolishly, perhaps prayer would have power to temporarily allow someone to marry someone who is not their soulmate, although it will not work out in the end. This seems to be the opinion of the mystical work Sefer Hasidim, um, as well, who tells us that, yes, at times, someone can marry a girl who is not, who they are not fated to marry, but it will not last long at all, according to the Sefer Hasidim, the marriage will not even last to the point of consummation. We have seen then, within the mystical school of understanding this concept, three ways of interpreting exactly how strongly fated this mystical soulmate is, based on three interpretations of the Gemara in Moed Katan Daf Yudchet Amud Bet. One interpretation within the mystical school was the printed Rashi, who tells us that nothing can change who you will marry. The only reason we're in a rush to get married is to prevent people from getting depressed and davening for horrible things to happen. But there's no chance of losing one's soulmate. Second interpretation was that of Tosafot, 
who tells there's a slight chance that prayer, tefillah, on rare occasions, can override fate. But the reg- and that's why we rush to get married in Cholomoed, to not take any chances. But the regular way the world works, 98% of the time, is that nothing can change your fate, and you marry the woman you are fated to marry. The third interpretation, based on the manuscript version of Rashi, is that, in the long run, nothing can change who you are fated to marry successfully. However, if one davens foolishly, at times God answers foolish prayers, and one gets exactly what one asked for, unfortunately, and temporarily, prayer might have the power to allow you to marry someone who is not your soulmate. That's why we rush to get married on Cholomoed, in order that someone not misuse this power of prayer. But even though there is a possibility of marrying someone who's not your soulmate, it won't last terribly long because the marriage will not be successful if she's not your soulmate and will end rather quickly in either divorce or widowhood. This is all within the mystical tradition. However, there is another tradition. The Ram, the Sefer Tashbates, tells us that there are two ways of understanding the theology of Shiduchim, of marriage. One is mystical, and the other is rational philosophical. What is the rational philosophical way of understanding this? So the Rambam has a letter to his student, uh, Ravavadya Hager, published in the Shod HaRambam, chapter 436, where he tells him, it's very interesting, methodologically he tells him, you can't start with random lines in the Gemara or Medrash and build a theology from there. You have to start with basic theological axioms with what's written explicitly in the Torah and build your philosophy from there. And then, when you see various passages in the Midrash or in Chazal that seem very peculiar or strange, you'll know how to interpret them properly within the framework of your axiomatic basic Jewish philosophy. And this is one of the Rambam's examples. Rambam says, you think there's just some mystical soulmate up in heaven? No, that's not how the Torah works. You have to understand the words of Chazal properly. And what do Chazal mean? The Rambam tells us that this is a matter of reward and punishment. Yes, matches are made in heaven. Lots of things are made in heaven. But they're not made in heaven based on some mystical fate. They're made in heaven based on the rational philosophical principle of reward and punishment. That, if someone is righteous and deserving of reward, then God uses his divine providence to find them a great spouse. And if not, then they're stuck with the bottom of the barrel. The Me'iri, uh, one of probably philosophically the most Maimonidean of all of the Mepharshim on the Gemara, in the beginning of Masechet 
Sota tells us that Mipinot Hadat Misodotel Lahanad BeYoshem Shdei Hashem Itbarach Liot and Nigmalvin and Nash Becholin Yanav Fimasavim Tovim Ra says the principal foundation of the Torah that God's ways are just. God doesn't do things stam because of just because of some mystical fate. No, no, everything God does when He involves Himself in this world is out of divine justice. And the Rama, the Meiri continues. Therefore, the match is made in heaven. The Bashert, the heavenly fate for who one will ma- marry is not a matter of mystical fate and some soulmate from some other realm of existence. It is that if you are good, then Hashem gets involved in the world to find you a good spouse. And if not, then He does not. So, the Me'iri and the Rambam both take the rational philosophical approach that there's nothing mystical here. A spouse is much the same as everything else in life. God runs the world with reward and punishment, and he finds you a good wife if you deserve it, or a good husband if you deserve it, and if not, not. That seemed the Tashbates explains, that is how they interpret the Gemara in Moed Katan. Why is it a rush to get married on Cholomoed? What's the rush? What might you lose? you might lose your potential spouse. Today, I might deserve to marry this great, amazing potential spouse. But who knows tomorrow, not just someone else might daven. Hey, you can't daven. You can't be a nudnik. You can't nudge God and say, oh, please, 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 God, give me this. That's not necessarily going to work. Rava told the fellow in the story, you can't nudge God. You can't just ask for things. You're not necessarily going to get them. God doesn't give you everything you ask for. However, Shemi Kamenu Rachamim, the Rambam, the Me'iri, and the Rationalist seem to interpret that if someone just nudges God, they're not necessarily going to change who they marry. But if someone really introspects and communes with God and meditates and becomes more spiritual and does mitzvot, if someone uses davening properly, not as a way of nudging God, but as we discussed, as a way of fostering spiritual growth and bridging a connection between himself and the transcendent divine. If someone becomes more spiritual and holy, then they might deserve this amazing marriage partner more than you do. That is why it's a rush to get married on Cholom If the girl is really so great, betroth her now before someone else earns more merit and becomes more righteous than you are and perhaps will deserve her instead. This is a rationalist approach to Shiduchim. Of course, the only problem is that this is already dealt with in the Gemara in Sota. The Gemara says only Zugshani, only the second match is a function of merit, of reward and punishment. The first match is just a function of fate. So explains the Me'iri, no. You misunderstood the word first match and second match, Zog Rishon v'Zog Sheni. The mystical school, the Rashi and the Tosfot and the Sefer Hasidim and the mystical tradition, learn that 
one's first marriage is mystically declared up in heaven. The second marriage is a matter of reward and punishment. Most people don't have a second marriage. However, the Meiri says, no, it doesn't mean first marriage and second marriage. It means first potential marriage and second potential marriage. What's the first potential marriage, the second potential marriage? The Meiri says the first potential marriage is when people would get married in the old days. When would they get married in the old days? Around uh, bar and bat mitzvah. When they were little kids. When they were little kids, when they were 12 and 13, did they deserve reward or punishment? The Me'iri says no. The Me'iri says a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old generally doesn't deserve much reward and punishment because they haven't done anything in their lives. They just followed, you know, whatever they were educated to do. Most kids, when they first reach adolescence, are not deserving of significant reward and punishment because they haven't fully developed and utilized their powers of Bechirach of Shit. They haven't really used their free will to make themselves into an individual. They're still a product of their environment. Says the Me'iri, if they're still a product of their environment, then one's first potential match, what determines the first potential match? Not reward and punishment. Because as a kid, one doesn't really deserve much reward and punishment. So it must be just fate. What does fate mean? Nothing mystical. The Me'iri says everything in the world is deterministic except for human free will. So until someone starts using their free will and changing things, then you take the Newtonian law of physics, take laws of sociology, of psychology, of what have you, you say, look, if this guy was born here in this time and place, and that girl was born there in that time and place, then until someone changes the world with their free choice, with their free will, then this guy's going to end up marrying that girl. You know, ask, ask someone who doesn't believe in free will. They'll tell you the world is deterministic. The moment you're born, I can tell you everything that's going to happen in your whole life, including who you will marry. To me, he says that's what Zugrisho means. Zugrisho is not a mystical concept. It just means that until you use Bechirach of Shit, you live in some scientific determined existence where everything happens just because that's how it happens. And you could call that fate if you want. But it just means that, you know, something's bound to happen until you use your free will to change your life. But the Mir says, Zogshani's second match means once someone uses their free will to develop as a person into a good person or into a bad person, once someone becomes a tzaddik or a rasha, doesn't just do what they're brought up to do, but really becomes their own person, then of course, their match changes. Then if they become a better person, they deserve a better spouse. And if they become a worse person, they deserve a worse spouse. Says the Me'iri, by nowadays, <laughs> none of us get married at 12 or 13 anymore. We all get married when we're adults, and when we've thought a lot about what we want to do with our lives, and what we believe in, and what our values and priorities are, and we've made ourselves into the kind of people we want to be, none of us marry a Zogrisho, the woman who we're just fated to marry. We all marry Zogshani. We all marry the husband or wife who... We deserve, based on our actions, because once we use our bechirach of shit, once we use our free will to become our, a person that we want to be, then the world is no longer fated or deterministic. There's no room for fate anymore. There's no room for determinism anymore. When I use my free will, I change the world. And now, 
What God does for me in heaven depends on my actions. Therefore, the rational understanding is basically the difference between the mystical and rational understanding is do most of us marry when we're all, I don't know, 20 odd years old and you know, walk down the aisle to the chuppah, are we marrying Zogrishan or Zogshani? The mystical school tells us that the first time we get married, we marry our Zogrisha, and that's faded. Why is it faded that way? It's our mystical soulmate from our souls up in heaven before they came down here. The rational school tells us, no, none of us marry Zogrishon. Zogrishon is not anything mystical. It just means if you don't change the world by free will, then everything is determined by the laws of nature. We all marry our Zogshani. Once we use our free will to become better or worse people, hopefully better, then we deserve better or worse from God. So if we use our free will to become better people, God gives us a better shidduch. And if, unfortunately, we would do the opposite, then God would give us worse. This philosophical school can actually, the rationalist philosophical school, um, can actually find support in something the Maharsha noticed that one Gemara in Moikotan says, every day a heavenly voice rings out and says who, we will, who everyone will marry. But the Gemara in Sotan Sanhedrin says, 40 days before the fetus is formed, the heavenly voice ring, rings out. Perhaps, suggests the Marsha, there's one Shittah that's declared 40 days before the fetus is formed, but then every day a new heavenly voice rings out, a new bat cold declares something. Because every day... One has a new bashert. Every day, God makes a new match for you in heaven. According to this rationalist school, every day, if I become a better person than yesterday, then God in heaven gives me a better match. And if I become, unfortunately, a worse person, then the opposite might happen. To summarize, then, we have seen two ways of understanding this idea that somehow the marriages are faded and up in heaven, the mystical school says, yes, it's really a soulmate because the souls lived there with mates before they came down to this world. And there's nothing, according to one possibility, there's nothing you can do to change it. According to a second possibility, it's rare that there's some, anything you can do to change that. According to a third possible reading, one can temporarily change that, but in the long run, you can't get marriage to work except with your mystical soulmate. However, according to the rationalist philosophical school, the, there's no such thing as mystical fate. If one doesn't use your power, if you don't use your power free will, then you marry you know, whoever you were born to marry until you change things by using your free will. That's not mystical. That's just saying the world is deterministic until you use your free will to change things. But once you grow up and use your free will and become your own person, then every day there is a new match made for you in heaven until you get married. Because every day you deserve something hopefully better than you deserved the day uh, before. I will end with uh, two observations. Number one, the Shut Tashbates, written by Rev. Uh, of Shimon ben Semach Duran, about 500 years ago, is very refreshing in that he tells us we can explain this concept in two ways. 
One, the way of the true Kabbalistic tradition, and the other, the way of philosophical rational analysis. It is refreshing to see that 500 years ago, uh, uh, leaders of the Jewish people could tell us, look, there are two different philosophical traditions and two ways of understanding things. We don't necessarily have to pick one and you know, call the other one by bad names. We can, under, we, can be, uh, we can be sophisticated enough to understand that there are different ways of understanding things within our tradition. A second observation is the what they call the nafkamina, the practical ramifications of this machloket. What should a single person do if they want to find a good shidduch, if they want a good to find a good wife or a good husband? So according to the mystical tradition, there's not really that much they should do. They should just sit back and relax and be normal, and they will marry the person God had in mind for them. According to the rationalist philosophical tradition, though, there's a lot they should do. But it's not necessarily what most people think you should do in order to find a good shidduch. It's what the more sophisticated and insightful people, actually, uh, whether they be religious or secular, all the sophisticated and insightful people give this advice, tell you to do if you want to find a good shidduch, which is, if you improve yourself, then you will end up with an improved person to marry you as well. This certainly makes sense rationally. The better person you are, the more likely a good person would be interested in marrying you. And according to the rationalist philosophical tradition, this is what the Batkol, the heavenly voice, rings out and says every day with an updated decree, a daily update to the decree that the best way to find a good shidduch is to be the best person, the most improved, righteous person that you can be, and then God will reward you accordingly. Halacha uh, l'ma'aseh, it's very hard to know which of these two traditions is correct. There's really no way to prove one over the other. But if someone asked me what they should do to find a good shidduch, I would probably advise them that it doesn't hurt to take the rationalist philosophical tradition into account and work on themselves, which is probably a good idea anyway, and might have the power to upgrade one's match made in heaven.